is what Jesus said. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now, from from when I was a little boy, I have always been captivated by stories of extreme behavior under extremely stressful conditions. And I think the reason for it was, and and it's still to say, because I'm very, very afraid of my lack of ability or courage or guts to pull through a very, very stressful situation. I think a little bit, because I grew up, I know this is going to shock you, but I grew up during the Vietnam War, which was the war that was televised almost live. That was the first one. Now, I, I know that you can't even, probably didn't even know that war existed, but it did. I, it was scary to me as a little boy, and I thought about that. What is it like to be in those situations? So one story that happened two years ago, which has just come to the news recently, that captivates me. It's the story of Dakota Meyer. Dakota Meyer is the first U.S. Marine who earned the Medal of Honor as a living person in a long time. This is the medal that you give usually to dead soldiers. Dakota Meyer, here's here's his story. He's from Kentucky, just one of those average guys who plays football. The Marine recruiter comes to the school, and at lunchtime, Dakota Meyer has nothing else to do, sits down at the table in the cafeteria across from him and just gets some information. The recruiter says, what do you want to do with your life, son? And he says, well, I just, I'm, hopefully I can play some football after I'm done with high school, play some college football, and then I'll probably get a job around here. And the recruiter said, well, that's a good thing, son, because you're not the kind of person that we're looking for. And he just sort of got up from the table and then went to a class, and then he came back about an hour later and said, I would like some more information. And he basically signed whatever initial papers he needed to sign that afternoon. That evening, the recruiter is at his parents' house. He signs with the United States Marine Corps. Flash forward, he is in Afghanistan under an extremely tight situation. This is the situation. A long line of soldiers are going into a very, very interesting valley in Afghanistan in which the Taliban was waiting. Now, he was at the back, Dakota Meyer and his other team of soldiers were in the back, far, far into the back. Suddenly in the camp that they were at, the lights went out, the, all the electricity went out, and then they looked into the valley and it, it exploded with light and sound because the Taliban were on both sides in the valley and they attacked our soldiers and Afghan soldiers. He, they immediately started hearing, Dakota Meyer and some of his fellow soldiers, that, that, that they were surrounded, that they were being attacked and that they needed help desperately. Dakota Meyer called to his superiors and said, may I go? Can I go help them? They said no. He asked a second time, can I go? They said no. A third time, no. A fourth time, no. His superiors said that. And at this time, he can hear that four of the Marine soldiers that are out there are completely and totally surrounded, the ones farthest into the valley. He disobeys orders. He gets into a Humvee, gets another fellow soldier who's on a gun turret, and they go in there. As soon as they come to the first round of soldiers, American and Afghan soldiers, to rescue, they pick them up, those who are injured, and rescue them. They're getting fire. It's coming all directions. They pull them back, take them back to the camp, and drop them and go a second time. He goes a second time. He goes a third time. He goes a fourth time, and he goes a fifth time. He rescued 
36 American and Afghan soldiers, but he would not stop until he got to the four soldiers who previously had been calling for help, but their radio communications stopped. He got to them. They were dead. He came back. Flash forward to this summer. He wins the Congressional Medal of Honor. Now, that's bravery, but listen to this. This is what got me. He said, when he decided that he was going to go into that, he said, I didn't think that I was going to die. I knew that I was going to die. And I don't know what it is about that, you guys, that gets me about a person who simply says, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I simply am going to die. So this guy figures out that this is something worth dying for, and he doesn't even feel like he's taking a chance. He says, I am going to die. And that fascinates me, and I find it missing in Christianity, in fellow Christians. And I wonder if it's missing in my life. Now, here's the thing. In, in this passage here in Mark 8, the Bible says that he summoned, Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples. And this major call, take up your, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, is always being given to a broad group of people from which Jesus calls the disciples. Jesus is a very popular person, you guys. He's still popular, but he's still calling out of the crowd people that will hear his message, which is the hardest, strangest messages you'll ever hear. You deny yourself. Take up a cross. Go in because you're going to die, and you know you're going to die, and come follow me. Here's the first thing you guys need to be thinking of. First of all, he, he says you must. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must. So this is a, a demand, not an invitation. This is non-negotiable. Christianity, you guys, is not an option. It's not a choice among many. We, we, there's no Jesus app. Like you just, hey, how many apps do you have? Do you have the Jesus app? Oh, isn't that good? When you get in some trouble, you can pull out and go to the Jesus app. We are living in a society, and you guys have a tendency for it too, if you don't check yourself, to say that Jesus is an add-on. If you don't be careful about how you present the gospel, you will convince people that they ought to add on Jesus into their life. You got a lot of things going for you. Something's not going for you. Why don't you add on Jesus? But Christianity is not an option, and this call in Mark 8 is not an option. That's why he says, you must do this if you're going to follow me. And it's an all-or-nothing thing. Because consider this, and the first thing that he says then to do, then you must do this, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. Here's the thing. Do this. Identify the source of your troubles, which is who? You. Recognize idolatry. I say this to my, my church all the time. It's such an interesting thing that we put probably the biggest mirror, or at least always a mirror, in the bathroom. Now, that's not interesting at all because that's a, that's a perfectly logical place to put a mirror. But it's, just, it's interesting to me that when you wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm taking it that the first thing you do is go to the bathroom. You pass in front of. It's not that you pass in front of a mirror first thing in the morning. And, and maybe you, you know you look so bad when you first get out of bed, you don't even look in the mirror. But sooner or later, you're going to look in the mirror. You're looking at, you're looking at 
Jesus' biggest rival every time. And you know what? My house, which is not, not one of those little apartments or dorms that you guys might live in, because I've been around a little while, it's like, it's like a runway at my, my bathroom. I mean, there are, there are lights in, in rows over our mirrors. And I mean, it covers the entire side of, one of our, our, side of our bathroom. So Dr. Sandberg, the organic chemist, she's got a big old fat mirror so she can look at her idol. And me, the speaker right now, has got a big fat mirror with all kinds of headlights so I can look at my idol. That's why Jesus says you have to deny yourself because that's your biggest problem. It's not the devil. Stop blaming the devil. And it's not your circumstances. It is the, the biggest idol of your life is yourself. And you should be thinking when you get out of bed and you got to go to the bathroom, you'll be thinking, oh boy, don't turn on the lights. The first thing I'm going to look at is going to be the rival to Jesus Christ today if I don't shove him or her down, if I don't deny myself. Here's another thing. That includes reevaluating your values. Reevaluating. Do you know what your values are? Could I help you discover what your values are? What do you daydream about? When you shift into neutral, and I know you do it all the time, and I don't blame you. You guys are working so hard at difficult schoolwork. It is hard to keep up with concentration. When you shift into neutral and you start daydreaming, what does it go to? What do you spend time on? What do you spend most of your time on when it's not sleeping and studying? What do you talk about the most? If people, if people listen to you enough, will they be able to say, so-and-so, oh yeah, they're always talking about this. That's your values. What about what you think will most satisfy you? Tell me what you want. This, by the way, this is one of the best questions to ask any human being in the world. And leave it just like this. Say, what do you want? And the person, of course, will say, what do you mean what do I want? What are you talking about? I asked you, what do you want? What do you mean? Like right now? I want a Coke. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. I'm talk- what do you really want? What are you talking about? Just tell me. Because if you don't know, who does know? What do you really want? Whatever the answers are, what do you want in five years from now? Where do you want, where do you, all of you guys want to be in five years? What about 10 years? What about 25 years? That's your values, okay? To deny yourself is to reevaluate your values and think about, wait a minute, what do I value most in life? Is it Christ? You guys, you know what? You could also, to get a new perspective on strengths and weaknesses, you have strengths and weaknesses. Do you know how to assess them correctly? Now, I'm not, I don't want you to raise your hand on this, but how many of you are beautiful? and handsome. Well, you won't do that. That's the, it seems like the height of arrogance and egoism to raise your hand. But some of you are, and a bunch of you are not. No, 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 no. No, I'm serious. No. Listen to me. How many of you are really, really, really smart? Don't raise your hand, of course. But a bunch of you are. And this is NC State, so I mean a bunch of you are. But not all of you are. How do you evaluate stuff like that? Why, listen, why has God made some people beautiful and some people less than beautiful? Do you know why? Neither do I, but it is God that did it. Why has God made some people smart and some people not so smart? Do you trust in your strengths? Is that what you depend on? The Bible says, Jesus says, deny yourself. Do you whine, complain, and use as excuses your weaknesses? What you think you lack, what you look and say that everybody else has got this better than me, deny yourself. 
Are we coming, James? You got it? Good stuff. Lastly, see the worth of everything in comparison to the worth of Christ. Denying yourself is not extinguishing yourself. We're not Buddhists. We're reevaluating everything in the light of Christ. We're comparing everything to Christ. Here's something that Paul said. Paul said, and this is in Philippians 3, I count all things to be lost, all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In view of means it's not that I am nothing, but that I look at myself and all that I have, my strengths and my weaknesses, compared to the worth of Christ. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Jesus says, deny yourself. And he says, secondly, take up your cross. You know, oh, this is the hard stuff. This is the hard stuff. And in the imagery, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a shame. I know, I know a bunch of you have a, a cross as a pendant underneath your shirt or on top. I think that's great. It, it probably shouldn't have been that way. I, don't, I know, I think Christians have always been searching for something to symbolize, symbolize externally who they are. And I understand that. I think that's rich. But it probably should never have happened that way. I think that what's happened is we've lost exactly the meaning of the cross and in other words, if we go back in the time machine 2,000 years ago and to wear such a thing on a pendant, please, I'm begging you to try to figure out what you think people would think of that if you had a cross on a necklace 2,000 years ago. It's absurd, if not bizarre. Well, I know what it means to you, and I think that's okay. Jesus says, take up your cross. Here's one thing about the cross. It, it's the end of everything. When you're walking down to get executed down that hallway after you leave your prison cell for the last time, somebody calls out, dead man walking. Dead man walking. I mean, it is the end of everything. Now, you don't RSV to any parties. You don't buy any tickets. You don't set your DVR. No, nobody walking toward the electric chair says, oh, I forgot to DVR friends or the office. Oh, I'm going to miss it. Uh, that's the end of everything. You don't fill out applications. You don't go looking for an engagement ring. You don't put a down payment on anything. I think, I think what is it? Just taking up your cross changes how you look at time. And bless your hearts. Every single one of you thinks you're going to live for about 60 more years. And I sure hope you do. You do not know that. You don't know that you're going to live 60 years. We all have to drive out of here, don't we, to get to Bojangles? There is traffic out there. I have no idea why NASCAR drivers are paid any money to do what they do. All you have to do is drive on Wake. We should be paid for driving on Wake County roads. I mean, NASCAR, it's an oval. Everybody, there's no stoplights. There's no intersections. Everybody's a professional. Try Wake County. So you don't know how long you're going to live. But, you know, taking up your cross basically says this is the end of everything. I have to act like today is my last day. Now what shall you do with your last day? you got to get up Friday morning and do it again and do it again on Saturday and Sunday. This is my last day. What will I do for Christ? And cross is also a total commitment. This is the other story which... To this day, this just kills me. 
How many of you saw this year the James Franco movie, 127 Hours? Okay. So those people will definitely know what I'm talking about. So in 2003, I remember this distinctly. I can remember seeing this in the newspaper about a man trapped who had to cut off his own arm. So Aaron Ralston was a mountain climber who made a really, really bad mistake. He's a college graduate. He's got a good job, but he goes out into Utah. He parks his his truck, does a six-mile hike, and then finds what was a, like a really, really amazing crevice in the ground. Very, very tall, but really, really narrow. He goes in there, and he, he says he does the stupid thing. He, de- he de- goes alone, which, not a mountain climber. Supposedly, you're not supposed to do that alone, and I, I get that. I really get that. He said within 15 minutes, the accident occurred. He's, there's a boulder trapped within this crevice, and he's kind of coming down, and he stepped on top of it, and he's just going to leverage himself and then kind of go down this valley between these things. But as soon as he stepped on the boulder, it shifted. He slipped off of it this direction, and as he came down, then the boulder started to shift on top of him, and he instinctively put his hands up, and then the boulder, about 800 and 1,000 pounds, then lodged and crushed his right hand right at the wrist. Now, I can't, if you've ever just accidentally hit your, you know, your thumbnail or something like that with a hammer, it's amazing, the pain. It's just absolutely amazing. You think every nerve that was ever, God ever created was, was centered in one little thumb, but he's got his hand trapped by this kind of thing. And he cannot get out. Now, I know in those initial, time, those initial minutes, you know, he thought, I, I, I mean, I've got to get myself out of this. I'm alone. Nobody knows where I am. I'm in some serious trouble. And so, obviously, in the next several hours, he is pushing and shoving on the boulder, and it will not go. You guys, day one turns into day two, which turns into day three, four, five, and day six. He is stuck there. He is dying I mean, he can't really lay down. He's got only his left hand free. And the thing is, is what he did was he had his camera, his video camera, and he put it on himself. And that picture on the left is the real man with his real video camera, and he's talking to his parents. And he's telling to the camera, he's really saying, anybody who finds this, would you please, my parents are so-and-so and so-and-so, would you please take this to them? Please tell them I love them. And he could not get out. He's slowly getting dehydrated. And this is, this is so interesting. So he, he, had a, he had a pocket knife, one of those all-purpose knives. It has two blades, I think a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. He took the big blade, and, and, and not thinking what he was doing, he kept carving with the big blade his initials into the side wall so the people would know this is where I was. I guess he thought someday somebody's going to find a skeleton, and he wanted to know this is who it was. He dulled that blade. Here's the thing. Here's what happened on day six. This is what happened on day six. This, this kills me. He took his knife and he put it into he put it into his thumb that's crushed, put it into his thumb, and he said it went through it like warm butter, and gas started escaping. In that one seminal moment, in that one hour, he had to make a very, very committed decision. And he did, and he said, I must. My arm is decaying in front of me, and it will crawl up my arm and kill me, I must cut my arm off. The big blade was dull. He was left with his little blade, and he began doing it. He said it was easy to go through the skin and the muscle. He came to the bones, the radius and the ulna, and he started to saw on them, 
and they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't go. It just wasn't a big enough blade. So he said, now this all happened within one hour. He said, I, I realize what I have to do. And so he leveraged himself on the wall, and he, he bent his arm and broke the radius. And he said the ulna did not break. But the one bone is broken, which is excruciating pain. They leveraged himself again and broke the ulna. He said that the knife wouldn't go through the tendons. And this is what he said. I, I promise you. He said he had to get the pliers to pull the tendon off of the bones. By the way, one thing he said, when he went through the artery with his knife, he had forgotten that he was going through an artery. So he took his water bottle cord and made, I don't know how you make a tourniquet over one, with one hand, but made a tourniquet because he realized I just severed my artery and it's bleeding, but I, I forgot to set, do the tourniquet. And then he, he only had one more thing. He said he had, he had the nerve, the nerve to cut. And he said that was the most painful thing of all. It's just like a little white string. And he cut that and it was excruciating, shot up to his body. But when he did that, the arm came free. And he tried as best as he could to scramble out of that. He had to rappel out of the canyon with one bleeding arm, dehydrated. He had to walk six miles back to his truck. He didn't make it because he met some, a family. Who, and he was just yelling out, so you guys, please, please help me. Somebody help me. And so they, they stopped him. They gave him two Oreo cookies, which is what they had, a bunch, all the water they had. Helicopter was called. He saved. That's the end of the story. There he is right there. Here's, here. I know all of that's sick. If I try, I'm serious. If I try to take a splinter out, if I try to dig a deep splinter out with a pin, I almost vomit. <laughs> I, I mean that. How... You cut your own arm out. This happened in 2003, and I remember to think you guys were in middle school or high school or something like that. Here's the thing. When he realized that he's going to die, and he's going to die really, really soon, he was totally committed. He realized, that's it. I know, now I know exactly what I'm going to do. I, I love it that Dakota Meyer basically said, I know what I got to do, and I'm going to die. Aaron Ralston said, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. But once he got into it, you know, you can't go halfway through your own arm amputation. You can't say like, you know, after I broke the radius, I don't think I'm going to go through this. You're, you're in it. You're in it all the way. You got to go through it. Taking up the cross, it's the end of everything, and it is total commitment. Could I just ask you something? When was the last time? You ever saw somebody totally committed to Christ? He says, Jesus does, and, and follow him, follow Jesus. And following Jesus is not that complicated. I'm not saying it's easy, I'm just saying it's not complicated. You obey everything he says. You obey everything he says. Jesus said when he's praying to the Father in John 17, your words, the words which you gave me, I have given to them. The words which you gave me, I have given to them. And then one time Jesus says this, and this one kills me. This one kills me. I, I am so guilty. I don't, know what, I don't know how I'm talking to you guys today. This is so stupid for me to talk to you. Why do you call me? Jesus says this in Luke 6, 40, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? How many times have you guys said the word Lord in a day? Every time you pray, right? I, how many times have I said the word Lord in my lifetime? It must be 
thousands, Todd, must be thousands. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Following Jesus, obeying everything he says. And it is, it is taking up his agenda. Taking up his agenda. And you know what Jesus' agenda is? Let me just read this again. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There's some, there's some handful of men in the room tonight who I get to meet with on Tuesday night. They're part of my small group Bible study. I love them. I love them, and they're so much fun to be with. We laugh so much. But I am getting them, slowly but surely, to start to actually name, name NC State students that they have the opportunity to have influence over for the gospel. I have a notebook. They know what I'm talking about, a notebook that I'm writing these names down. That is what we're here for. That's what Christ followers do is for the gospel. They take up Christ's agenda, and I'm trying to get my, my dear little brothers to start to name some people that they need to bring the gospel to. Now, you guys have, by God's plan, certain people in your life who need Jesus, and you know it's true. Are you guys going to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? You're going to have to take up his agenda, which is the gospel. This is serious stuff, isn't it? And don't we need, because I need somebody to kind of kick you in the butt, remind you of something I didn't say, anything you hadn't thought of before, nothing new tonight, not tonight. You just needed to hear that. We need to do that. This is serious stuff. Don't add on Jesus. He's everything, and it makes a difference in your life. I'm so privileged to get to speak to you. That's a wonderful Todd, Mike. Thank you for letting me come. That was very kind of you. Let me pray for you. May I do that? Father, we were talking about this uh, afternoon, my wife and I, about whether or not we're really hypocrites. You were there with us at the supper table. I don't want to be a hypocrite, and I don't want my brothers and sisters in the room to be hypocrites. And I don't know, Father, even if, if, if everyone in here really does know you, has heard this call. I would pray for the, for the, I don't know, the visitor, Lord, the confused one. How would you describe him? The one in here who has not made any commitment to you and does not really know you as Lord and Savior, that they would hear your words and do exactly what you say. I would pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters in the room that they would do this every day. Deny themselves, take up your cross, and follow you. You'll have to help them because they're like me. They're probably weak and confused and distracted. So I pray for them, and I lift them up to you and and say that we are weak and we need your help. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that he gave it all, that he was totally committed. Thank you for the resurrection life that we have in him, too. Bless these kids, Lord, as they go back, um, to go out to eat, to go back to the dorm, to study. Protect them, Lord. Protect them from the evil one. And I thank you, Lord, for letting me speak to them. And I'm praying this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you.